Thank you, Rick. Nancy will be preaching tonight from Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse 28. Most of you are familiar by now that normally the evening service is a follow-up of the morning sermon. And although we are in the New Testament, the same is true today. This is a follow-up of what we looked at this morning. There's an Old Testament connection in this passage of Scripture, and you'll probably pick it out very quickly, uh, but it goes a lot deeper than what's obvious here. But uh, like any of the Bible stories, and the Transfiguration would be one of them, there's some grown-up lessons in this passage, in addition to the wonderful connection with what we looked at this morning in our beginning uh, view of the life and the ministry of Moses in the book of Exodus. Luke chapter 9 Beginning in verse 28, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28. Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for the word that you give us. We thank you for their messages for our church, for our homes, for us. Father, help us as we look in this passage of scripture to Help us to hear what we need to hear. We all have different needs, and we ask that you would address each of our needs with the truth from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this passage of scripture, this is nothing new, but I believe it is a grown-up uh, lesson that we need to be reminded of from time to time, is the supremacy of prayer. Jesus was known as a man of prayer. It says quite clearly, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. He took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Verse 29 says, as he prayed. Early on in the ministry of Jesus, it was noted that he prayed. In Mark chapter 1, verse 36, it says, early in the morning, he went to a solitary place and there prayed. Just a few chapters later, chapter 6, verse 46, he sent the disciples away. That's when they went across the, the Sea of Galilee, and he went up to a mountain apart to pray, and he prayed at night. So he didn't establish one time was any more important than another. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed at night. He made a point to send everyone away, sent the disciples away, and made time to pray. In Luke chapter 6, we have the account where Jesus prayed all night long. And the next morning, he called the 12 disciples. He prayed 
before he made the selection all night long. The foundation of a transformed life is prayer because it says, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. The other two gospel accounts says he was transfigured. The word transfigured doesn't mean he was just changed. It means to be changed from the inside out. I think there's a lesson for us, even though we will not uh, uh, acquire this level of transformation, that when we pray, and we pray regularly, and we pray intentionally and intently, we will be changed from the inside out. Prayer changes things, but most importantly, prayer changes us. And this passage gives us the supremacy of prayer. A lot of times when we look at this passage of Scripture, we think, I would have loved to have been there. I don't know what it would be like to be up there. Oh, yes, we do. We're in familiar territory if we look at this passage of Scripture. Our own familiar territory from the Mount of Transfiguration. Our familiar territory is this, the human weakness of even the closest disciples. We see Peter, James, and John several times in different areas with Jesus, and they were the only disciples around. It's not that Jesus played favorites. It's just these were the ones that were his inner circle. There was a reason why they were his inner circle. They were the men, probably could have been because they were the most accept, accessible to be the inner circle. He knew he could reach them. But they were in the inner circle, so you would think they, of all people, would be the most dedicated. So Jesus brings them up to the mountain for a prayer meeting. And oh, how they prayed. No. They slept. They fell asleep. Now, I'm pretty sure their intentions were good. So are ours. You ever had good intentions to do something for the Lord and blow it? Maybe it's a long-term thing. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's something you're going to do. But we just didn't pull it off because of our own human weaknesses. They slept while they should have been praying. The original language, their eyes were heavy with sleep, meant they were overcome with sleep. They didn't mean to. It's just they were so limited. They were men. They were human. They made a mistake. Don't we all do that? You see, we're in familiar territory. Oh, but it gets even more familiar. Peter woke up, and he saw what was going on. And it says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, because it says they were leaving Moses and Elijah. Oh, he didn't want that. He wanted to stay up there. He liked the mountaintop experience. So he said, we want to stay up here for a while. Who doesn't? So here's what he said. He said, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says this, not knowing what he said. Now, Mark chapter 9, verse 6 says it this way. He did not know what to say. Now, watch this. Here's why it's so familiar. He did not know what to say, but he talked anyway. You ever been there? You ever been there? Yes, we've all been there. And Peter was the champion. If you look through all four gospel accounts, he was always blurting something out. He was always acting impulsively. Words just tripped over his bottom feet and fell out of his mouth. I mean, that's the way Peter was. 
And we go to the mountaintop and we think, boy, I wish I would have been there. But we've been there before, just like the disciples were. We've all faced our own weaknesses and our frustrations in doing what we really intended to do. Didn't Jesus say it this way when he found them, the same three, asleep in the garden? He says, watch it. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. We deal with a weak flesh, and we serve the Lord with bodies that are weak in his familiar territory. And so we have a lot in common with the disciples. But also, Peter was one to talk before he thought about what he was saying. We're all familiar with that, so when we have trouble with that, just remember, we're in good company. We're in very good company. Then, as they were just about to come down off of the mountain, and Peter wanted to stay, a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. We all like mountaintop experiences. You know, I'm familiar with, with those experiences, and I'm, I'm privileged to, to and blessed to be able to have a, a hand in a lot of those and to experience mountaintop experiences with people all the time. Uh, you get to go to Soar. Man, that's a mountaintop experience. I mean, you hadn't had a mountaintop experience until you get into an auditorium and there's 2,000 teenagers singing. I mean, it was great. You go to church camp. You go to church camp and you see young people and, and they get away for a whole week and you see young people commit their lives to the Lord and be saved. It's, it's, it's a mountaintop experience. But mountaintop experiences are few and far between a lot of times. You've been there a revival, a church service, something special, maybe even a, a, a gospel concert of some kind. It's a mountaintop experience. But what happens after that? The rest of the year happens. Here's the principle. The voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Here's the grown-up lesson. True discipleship is not based on mountaintop experiences, although they're wonderful but on hearing Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son, hear him. Now the word hear is a, is a lot stronger word than the English language. It means to listen to and obey. So, so what's, what's true discipleship? Not the, the, the wonderful worship experiences we may have at a conference or a, a youth meeting or something or a revival. Those are great and those are necessary and they are legitimate. The true discipleship is based when day after day after day, on the mountain, in the valley, in the workload, we're willing to listen to Jesus and obey Jesus. Now we have the connection. You say, well, it's obviously the connection there is Moses on the mountain with him. Well, two are on the mountain with him. Moses the most respected and recognized personality in the Hebrew experience. There was no writer of scripture and leader of the Hebrew nation more respected and revered as Moses. And then there's Elijah. Elijah was called by the Jewish people the greatest of all prophets, which is quite interesting because he didn't write one of the books. But they called him the greatest of all prophets. So you have two major sections of the word 
Their, person, their representatives were on the mountaintop with Jesus. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And when you wanted to talk about what the Bible said, they would say, this is of he of whom the law and the prophets spoke. Now the representative of the law and the prophets were up on the mountain with Jesus Christ. And you might say that, of course, the, the connection with this morning's sermon is that Moses was up there. Oh, but it goes deeper than that. It says this, and they talked with Jesus. What did they talk with Jesus about? Moses did not talk to Jesus about what he experienced in Egypt or in the wilderness or right before they crossed over and he had to leave as they were crossing over. Elijah did not talk to Jesus about Mount Carmel about Jezebel, about Ahab, about his time in the wilderness. He didn't talk to him about what he did. Moses didn't talk to Jesus about what Moses did. They talked about what Jesus would do. That's what they talked about. They talked about what Jesus would do. Notice, they talked about his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, you would think that death would be something that happened to somebody. It didn't say death would happen to Jesus. It says his decease, which he would accomplish. Jesus would do this. Jesus would fulfill this. But, oh, it gets even better than that. The word decease here, we think, means him dying, right? The decease. If you've got another English translation, the word may be departure. Departure. You know what the original Greek is? Exodus. Leading out. Jesus leading out. Not just departing. Leading the way through death. That is the beautiful connection between this passage of Scripture. So the book of Exodus it's a wonderful history of what God did with the Hebrew nation. But it's just a preview of something far better that Jesus accomplished up on Mount Calvary and would lead us out because Jesus Christ accomplished the exodus at Jerusalem. Is there anything before we close?